Good evening. Welcome to the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Group, Big Book Studies Groups, Thursday Night Alcoholics and God, Speaker Step Series. First, we usually start this meeting off with a joke, so we're going to have the tan man come up here and read us something. I'm an alcoholic. My name is Tanner. (laughs) So a guy sits, sits at a bar in a skyscraper restaurant high above the city. He slams a shot of tequila, goes over to the window, and jumps out. The guy sitting next to him can't believe what he just saw. He's more surprised when ten minutes later the same guy walks back into the bar and sits down next to him. The astonished onlooker says, how did you do that? I just saw you jump out of the window. We're hundreds of feet above the ground. The jumper responds by slurring, well, I I didn't get it either. I don't get it either. I slam a shot of tequila, and when I jump out the window, the tequila makes me slow down right before I hit the ground. Watch. He takes another shot, goes to the window, and jumps out. The other guy runs to the window and watches as the guy falls to just above the sidewalk, slows down, and lands softly on his feet. A few minutes later, the jumper walks back into the bar. The other guy has to try it. So he orders a shot of tequila. He slams it down. He jumps out the window, and as he reaches the bottom... He doesn't slow down at all. (laughs) Splat! (laughs) The first guy orders another shot of tequila. The bartender shakes his head and he says, You're really mean when you're drunk, Superman. (laughs) Thank you. I still don't get it, but thank you anyway. I hope hope somebody on Zoom and Facebook Live got it. (laughs) So I am a recovered alcoholic. My name is Mark. Thanks for joining us tonight on Zoom and other social media. In a minute, we're going to start our two-minute meditation. So please take this time to get situated. Please turn off all devices that are not being used to stream the meeting or that will make noise or distract others. Take this time to get connected to God. Let the craziness of the day drift away and ask God to help you stay focused on the step study tonight. Is everybody ready? If so, we're going to start the meditation.
Okay, we start this meeting off with the fog light prayer. If you don't know it, you might have time to Google it real quick. If not, just repeat after me. So the fog light prayer. God, let your love shine through me like a fog light, so those whom are lost, sick, and dying can find your love through me. Amen. There is a solution from the big book, page 17. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. I've asked James to read Appendix 2, Spiritual Experience. We read this because the main purpose of the 12 steps is to have one, so it's kind of important to know what one is. Here's James. I'm James, and I'm a recovered alcoholic. The terms spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which, upon careful reading, shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety, because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource, which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of spiritual experience. Our religious members call it God-consciousness, Most emphatically, we wish to say that an alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. Herbert Spencer, Alcoholics Anonymous, page 567 and 568. So, during the meeting, please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. This is a tech meeting not tech-free, so um, we have our Facebook live stream set up, we have Zoom set up, obviously a lot of you are home on the computer watching it, Um, but while you're watching it, please set your phone to airplane meeting mode, turn them off, try to eliminate distractions, and uh, we're going to introduce our speaker. So tonight we have Keith again, it's his second session. 
we had him about five years before that, and he's back. Um, this, he said it was this his first meeting since the pandemic last week. This is his second meeting, and he's got ten more after this. He's a humble servant of God. He um, he does the big book meeting in Pompano uh, every Wednesday night. So we're gonna hear about Keith's spiritual experience. This is the second session. Please introduce. Please get around closer for Keith. Good evening, everyone. My name is Keith, and I am an alcoholic. And, um, yep, this is my second week here, and my sobriety date is July 15th, 2003. I don't say that to brag. I say that to let the newcomer know that it is possible to stay sober. Um, again, thank you, Mike, and the group for having me. Again, this is not one of my favorite things to do, but it's not about me. I have a, um, a passion for the newcomer, and, you know, I like to say my mission statement up here is to touch one person. Like, am I talking to the people that know? I'm talking to the person who doesn't know. And um, like that person, I did not know what I did not know when I got here 17 years ago. Um, tonight we're on the second step, but just to briefly recap last week, I know I talked about the first step a little bit, but it was mostly an introduction to me and how I got down here into Florida and, uh, you know, what my journey was like when I got here. And, um, you know, I was talking to my brother and you know, me and him are very close today, and he gave me uh, some feedback about this because this is my first time ever doing a live Zoom slash Facebook meeting, and he said I look very nervous, and I told him I get nervous every time I speak, so hopefully uh, it comes across all right. God's going to kick in and do what he does. But, um, yeah, so um, my journey started 17 years ago, and I'm not going to tell the whole story again, but that first step to me was until I got that first step, I had no hope of recovery. And... um it's all about surrender. And Bill, in his infinite wisdom, I believe this book is written like by the hand of God, using Bill as the instrument. And um, we get the, the problem from a doctor in New York, Dr. Silkworth, who treated over 40,000 of us. He told us about the allergy obsession because he had seen um, that in us. We get the solution from a psychiatrist over in Europe, Dr. Young, who happened to be a uh, protege of Sigmund Freud and if you know anything about Sigmund Freud through, through what I've been taught Sigmund Freud was not um, in tune with something spiritual or the God aspect of it you know he was I, I don't know if he's an atheist but I think so but Dr. Young was open to spiritual possibilities so we got the solution from those two gentlemen and um, I mean the program from those two gentlemen and he gave it to Bill so in my journey here you know again I'm from a good up family up north, and uh, you talk about weakness and, 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 and admitting powerless over something. That was something totally foreign to me. You know, I uh, always taught never to give up, never quit, you know, and that attitude will kill lots of us. You know, I had a hard time coming to grips with that something had me licked or beat because I drank for 20 years and did other things. Um, and it wasn't always bad. You know, I started at 15. I got bussed out to the suburbs and, um, you know, my whole world expounded from then, you know, from there. And, uh, yeah, the first five years was great. You know, it was, you know, not a problem at all. Then things that slowly got worse and um, got a couple DUIs in my drinking career. I went to the military. I liken this thing called recovery to the military because um, in the military, you know, I was shipped off to Paris Island, and when we get to Paris Island, you know, it's in the dead of the night, 
they uh, get us off the bus, and from that moment, they break us down. From whatever we were when we got there, they literally break us down to nothing, and they build us back up to teach us how to be Marines. And that's what this thing with recovery is. Like, when I got with Joe and John, I likened them to my drill instructors. Joe told me that it was what I know that was killing me. And I was like, what are you talking about? And it's what you don't know is going to save your life. And again, I'm thinking I'm pretty smart, and I know what an alcoholic is, but I don't, you know. And in this book, Bill uses, you know, the preface, doctor's opinion in the first three chapters, including Bill's story, to tell me the problem, right? To tell me I'm screwed, <laughs> to let me know that what's on the table. And uh, until I got with Joe, I didn't know that, you know. And even then, I still had some doubts and I still had some reservations about this thing because, again, I can overcome anything. And uh, I find out through reading this information that, what I have is a death sentence, right? I wanted to kill myself when I got here. I literally didn't want to wake up in the morning, but I was too much of a coward. And we'll talk about fear in a little bit, but I was, I, was, I was too scared to kill myself. But, you know, all my tomorrows look like my yesterdays, and, and, and that's a terrible place to live. And, and, you know, Joe, we do this meditation on Monday nights where we have the guys go back and look at our last 42, I mean, 48 to 24 hours and just picture yourself and and man, I know exactly where I was. I know exactly how I felt. And it was like the worst feeling ever. And um, God put an angel in my life. Her name is Lorna. And uh, talked about her last week. Reason, season, a lifetime. This woman, I haven't talked to her in over 10 years. But for that time in my life, she was what God used to, to get me here. And um, she got me hooked up with Joe. And that's where my journey began. And, um, you know, in, in this doctor's opinion, I found out what my problem was. And again, I think I know what an alcoholic is, right? And reading that information, man, it opened my eyes to some things. And uh, I found out that I was, I had this allergy of the body that when I drank and did other things, it set up this physical demand for more, which made sense to me. You know, I had people tell me in my life that I was an alcoholic, you might be a drug addict and all this stuff. And I'm, I wasn't trying to hear that, you know? But reading that information, I was like, okay, that lives for me. I, I went out on a Friday night, only going to spend 20 bucks, only going to do a six-pack, only going to do a whatever. And uh, that was my intention, and I, and I meant that. But what happened was I come to on Sunday morning wondering what happened. And uh, that made sense. But that wasn't the, the only problem because if I didn't drink, I wouldn't get drunk, obviously, right? And I've been stopped many a times in my journey. I've been stopped – in the Marine Corps, I didn't drink and drug during boot camp. I didn't drink and drug during my three DUI stints in jail, you know. But I, And I was stopped for a long period of time. So I should have been able to stop if I could, but I couldn't. And um, so I got that puzzle, you know. And, and the first step, you know, talking about paralysis and unmanageability, my whole life was unmanageable when I got here. My thinking was unmanageable. My life was unmanageable. Everything about me was unmanageable. But it seemed normal to me. And... uh you talk about selfishness and self-centeredness. I talked about it last week. I was the type of person, like, I didn't really um, drain my family, so to speak, as far as financially, like, going to treatment and all that. But what I did do was age them, like, 20 years because they didn't know if I was dead or alive. You know, I met my father when I was 16. We talked about that. We'll talk about that more. I had my, my brothers and sisters. They didn't know if I was dead or alive. My little brother and sister, they were going to, call Oprah to try to find me. Like, that's the kind of thing I did, you know. Um, 
My mom didn't know if I was dead or alive. So things like that is what, what, what I did. And, and I didn't understand that I wasn't, you know, I was really hurting these people. And then I get with Joe and, and again, he teaches me how to live. Like that's a very humbling thing. Like for, for somebody who I don't know, who's from a different world, different background, and their solution talks about we're poor people who normally wouldn't mix. And for this man to literally, you know, have to tell me how to live, like that's, I don't know, what's the word? Degrading when I first got here. Like I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, I was all in because I wasn't. Um, I was homeless, so I needed a place to stay, but I literally had to be taught how to live. And uh, to sit up here and admit that is, you know, today I can do that. But uh, so I get with Joe and John, and again, I didn't jump right into this program. I didn't say, oh, I'm all in, you know, for the first six months I'm with him. Um, well, no, let's say the first three months, I just complied. I was a complier, you know. Uh, I'd never been to treatment. I'd never been to AA. I was just, you know. Just, just complying with the rules and stuff. And um, he put up with that for a little bit, but he got more strenuous with it, you know. During this time, um, my mom was paying my rent because I was lazy. I was um, unreliable. My word meant nothing. It, it was just, you know, one of those things. And, and I thought the nature of the exercise, because I've been here a little bit, and I've seen other halfway houses and sober houses and they have these things where you got a relapse fee and you can continue to live the way you want to live and they don't care if you get I believe they don't care if you get sober or not but that wasn't Joe's mantra you know Joe wanted me to have skin in the game and he would you know toss my bed every now and then he would have me going out looking for jobs he had me cutting the grass and I'm like well I got to cut this man grass when I'm when I'm living here like things like that right my whole mindset was still one of selfishness and me wanting something for nothing and and Joe stepped all in that and, uh, you know, so I'm here and I'm not committed. I'm not even in. I'm just off the street and I'm just happy to be off the street. I got a game plan. My best thinking got me here. And my thinking was I'm going to stay here for four months and I'm going to figure this out. I just need a place to get my bearings and stuff. And, you know, mom's paying my rent. So everything's good. And uh, Joe had a surprise for me. He says, I'm not taking another check from your mother. And uh, wow, that was eye opener. Right. And so. I, I still was not in, and um, I go out looking for work, not really, but I tell Joe that, and he knows the game, you know, and uh, here comes God, because at the time, I'm thinking he's about to boot me, and uh, I'm not believing in God, I don't believe in God when I get here, I'm not an atheist, I'd say I'm an agnostic, but uh, this is where God really shifts me and shifts my thinking because we're about the rubber's about to meet the road and i talked about it last week and uh, a lot of people don't know when when that that switch goes on when they get fully committed but i know the exact date and the time and um john and joe god bless john he's not here anymore but uh he was the owner of solutions at the time joe was like the the, the running the place and uh i was about to get booted that day i owed a lot of money i had no no more uh no more chances. Joey told me that morning, if you come home without a job or no money, you will be out of here. Now, during this time, my whole six months there, John never was at the house to collect uh, the rent money. He would meet Joe Sunday or Saturday morning at breakfast, and then Joe would give it to him. And uh, this particular Friday night, he was there, and I went out that day, and I'm just bumming around town, and I know, you know, I'm just thinking. Again, my best thinking, I'm thinking, what am I going to do tonight because I'm going to be homeless? And uh, 
I go to the 101 Club 545 meeting, and um, sorry for you guys who heard this last week, but you know my sister's on here, so <laughs> she she gets to hear a little bit of it. And I go to that meeting, and um, I'm sitting there watching the clock, and nothing's happening, and it's just going. And I'm like, man, I'm going to be homeless in an hour. I'm going to be homeless in 45 minutes. I'm going to be homeless in 15 minutes. I'm going to be homeless in 10 minutes. Lord's Prayer comes. I'm saying as slow as I can. Get done with that, and I do the dead man walk down Southwest 10th Street. And um, when I get there, I get in the parking lot, and I'm already thinking, like, what am I going to do? What am I going to go? I'm going to call mom. I need some money, whatever. John happened to be there, and uh, I'm thinking I'm about to get both barrels from these two people, you know? But God had other ideas. See, I can make up stuff, a lot of stuff in my head, which I always did. And uh, when I get into the house, Joe looks at me with those eyes. He knows I don't have the money. He knows I don't have a job. I'm already, I'm already thinking in my head that he's about to say, get out. John sits me down. What's going on, Keith? Nothing, I tell him. And then he puts his hand on my knee, and then some very colorful words. He says to me, when are you going to get through your blanking head that your word is the only thing you have in this world? And that was all he said. He didn't say pack it up. He didn't say get out. He just said go next door. And from that moment, my life changed, right? I was fully committed. The next morning, I get up and I go to labor pool, which was right down the street from the house. And I talk about that. Every job I had in recovery was within walking distance because my license was suspended for 12 years for my drinking and driving. So, But I'll talk about that later. And uh, my whole life changed. I go to labor pool. I make 42 bucks a day. I give Joe 22. He lets me keep 20. What he was teaching me was I had had some skin in the game that it wasn't about the money. It was about the attitude. It was about the desire. It was about what I wanted to do to get this thing called recovery. And a lot of people come into our house and, you know, they're, um, you know, I'll do anything. But as soon as they get like three or four days separated and they get a little food in their belly, well, that job's too good for me or, or I'm too good for that job or I need to get this or whatever. But that wasn't my attitude. My attitude was I'll do anything. And uh, I did that. And so slowly but surely, my my whole attitude changed. And I got with my sponsor, and we read this book every day. And, you know, we got into the book. And so my first step, again, I'm taking it, and, and I know now that I am screwed after reading this information. And uh, we get to we agnostics. And we get to the second step. Now, mind you, I told you that last week that I didn't believe in God when I got here. But that's not totally true. I, I believed in him when I was in trouble. I believed in God when uh, all my score cards read zero. I believed in God. I used him as a cosmic bellhop, so to speak. He was my, my genie. Like, get me out of this and I won't do it again. And he always got me out of it, but then I take over again. And um, so we get to this, this uh, second step and... You know, I'm not, I'm not trying to hear it. You know, Joe every Monday night's talking about God and there's God rocks on the wall back there and I'm thinking he's trying to convert me. And I'm thinking this is a religious program and, and he keeps telling me this is not a religious program. It's a spiritual program. But I don't hear that. You know, I'm a, I'm a product of the 80s. Talked about that last week. I'm a product of, uh, this is when televangelism got big and I've seen the church people and the, the guys riding around in their, their Rolls Royces and, and, and they're collecting money from these people in their congregation, but those people don't have anything. And I'm watching Jimmy Baker and Tammy Faye Baker on TV and Jimmy Swagger. And so this is what I know about God when I get here. You know, I went to church a couple of times with my grandfolks growing up. And again, it was always on Easter. I went with them and I would go to church with my grandmother and my grandfather. And I can remember going to church from 9 a.m. to 
three or four in the afternoon, and I'm just like, man, that's <laughs> I don't want to do this. If that's what you're talking about, I don't want to do that. There's got to be another way. But that's not what he was talking about. And so I'm, I'm still hard-headed. I'm still letting my old attitudes, ideas, and beliefs dictate my future. Right? I got this guy telling me what's, what's it going to take for me to get sober. Like I had to have this spiritual awakening, this spiritual experience. And I don't want none of that. I want the easier, softer way. I want that there, there, it's going to be all right, Keith, don't worry. No. I want that just don't drink and go to meeting. No. Joe and them frowned upon that, you know. Meeting makers make it that type of day. I wanted, I wanted that recovery. You know, I wanted to go not to a big book study, but to a, you know, open, disgusting meeting where somebody's telling me their war story and I got a little cutie sitting next to me. That type of recovery is what I wanted. That's what I was committed to, and he wasn't having it. But, um, you know, God, I want no, nothing to do with him. So we started reading this thing, we agnostics. And again, I think this is the most fascinating, if not greatest reading I've ever read. Because it explained to me what, what Bill's trying to say, right? Again, the first three chapters in Doctor's Pain, it tells me I'm screwed, right? So I'm going to use the book tonight a little bit. Again, good sponsorship, because I come in not knowing anything. I need to be taught this stuff. You know, I've heard people say, you know, I'm your sponsor, and then go home and read the first 164 pages, and then we'll talk about it. What? Read the first 164 pages. If I do that, I'm going to start on page one. If I start on page one, I'm going to miss some very important information, the preface, the forward, doctor's opinion, right? I'm going to miss all that. I'm going to start with Bill's story. And even when I read Bill's story in the the beginning, I was asking Joe, why do I got to read the story about a guy from the 20s, a stockbroker, a white guy in the the, the 20s? And I don't get it. (laughs) But when I read it, I'm just like Bill, right? I'm just like him. The ups, the downs, the highs, the lows, the build it up, tear it back down. That was me. You know, I I so relate to Bill. I can remember back in Rochester when I – was younger and out of high school and I had a I was working at this grocery store, one of our biggest stores in, in, in Rochester, Wegmans, and uh one of the dudes who used to um deliver our Coke products to us told me there's an opening at the Coca-Cola plant, better money, better opportunity, got me a job interview. And I went to this interview with a friend of mine, well who I thought was a friend, because I didn't have a car at the time. And uh he came over a couple hours early and we went and had a couple of drinks and some other stuff. And I'm thinking that's a good idea to go to this interview. And I, uh, <laughs> I go to the interview. I don't think they can smell it on me. I don't think they can see it in my eyes, but man, they knew because after the interview, we'll get back to you, Mr. Neal. My buddy calls me who got me an interview, told me how bad I messed up. Like that was my mindset. That was my thinking. Right. So, Yeah. So we get to this thing called we agnostics, and um, it's all about my belief system. Because, again, I believe <laughs> Bill, in his infinite wisdom and with God's hand on his hand, writes this chapter because he knows me. Even though he laid out the problem, even though he laid out the destiny that I have, I still have doubts. I'm still not all in. I still don't believe in the God solution. I think there's enough, I can figure this out. So he writes we agnostics. And then he says this, in the preceding chapters, the first three plus doctor's opinion, we have learned something of alcoholism. 
We hope we have made clear the distinction between the alcoholic and the non-alcoholic, right? Because there is a such thing as a non-alcoholic or a hard drinker. You've seen them in our meetings. You know, they'll come in. They're the type of people who tell you they're there. You don't need God. You don't need the steps. Just don't drink and go to meetings. That's a hard drinker. That's somebody who has a DUI and was made to come here, right? Get your paper signed. They come. They like the coffee and the donuts. They see the girls and they stay. Hard drinker, right? I might have been a hard drinker. I was never a moderate drinker. So they make the distinction. Then he says this. If when you honestly want to, he asks us two questions, not 100 questions. I don't have to answer 100 questions to figure out if I'm an alcoholic or not. I don't have to go to a speaker meeting to listen to my story. I got it all right here. It says, if you honestly want to, you find you cannot quit entirely. That's the obsession of the mind, right? I can't bring it in my mind with sufficient force to memory of the suffering or the day or week or month or prior to. Or if when drinking, you have little control of the amount you take, allergy of the body, step one, right? If I answer yes to one of those questions, listen to what it says. You are probably alcoholic. If that be the case, you may be suffering from an illness, which only a spiritual experience will conquer. Now he's laying it out there for me, right? And even I'm still not buying. I answered yes to both of those questions, and I still want to debate this thing. Hmm. He says, lack of, on page 45, lack of power, that was our dilemma. We had to find a power by which we could live and it had to be a power greater than ourselves. Obviously. But how were we to find this power? Right? He's got the hook in me. He doesn't tell me, you know, there, there's going to be all right. <laughs> Meeting makers make it. No. Well, that's exactly what this book is about. Its main object is to enable you to find a power greater than yourself that will solve your problem. And Joe taught me that. Again, I don't have to figure this out. I just have to obey when I get here. I have to be teachable. And I wasn't teachable for a long time. Right? So this God thing, I want to argue and debate it. I think I know what they're talking about. I think I know God. Right? Here's, here's what you're telling me. Like, I find out I'm dying. First three chapters. Right? I get to this point. I'm getting ready to make a decision in step three, but we're not there yet. But here's what's on the table. Continue to go on as I have been, right, living life the way I see it and getting the results I've gotten, which is a big fat zero, or accept spiritual help. What's my choice to be? <laughs> I want to say, hey, Joe, how long do I got to think about this, right? I said that to him. I got to decide right now, you know, and I can't believe in this power, right? I can't believe what you're telling me. I can't believe this God that you're talking about is going to do all this stuff because all the bad stuff going on in the world. If he was so good, why would he make me an alcoholic? Why would I end up in Florida? Why would I be in a halfway house at 35? Why would I be homeless, right? I speak victimese, right? That's victimese. That, that's me blaming you for my lot in my life. That's me blaming God for my lot in life, right? That's me judging him on the actions of a few people. Jimmy Baker, Tammy Faye Baker, right? I want to question it. But let's say something so mundane, and we talked about this last night in our home group because we're in wing agnostics. Something so mundane is electricity, right? I don't question electricity. When I go home, I don't sit there and wonder why, how's my drink cold? <laughs> I just know it is. I'm going to like it. I don't question when I turn on direct TV that it's going to work. I don't question how does a beam from up there come down to Pompano Beach, Florida, and should give me a show or a sport that's in Australia. I don't question none of that. I just know that's going to happen. But you tell me I got to believe in this God thing, and I want to question that. Right. That that is to me. That's just who I am when I get here. Right. So 
We move over some. Now, what I love about Bill and what he does here is he, he, put, he puts it to um, when Ebby came to see him at the house and, and he's telling him what he had, like this experience. Ebby's two months over and he's carrying the message to Bill. And he's sitting across from him, and Bill remembers back in the day his religious upbringing and stuff and his grandfather and all that stuff. And Ebby tells him, because he sees the wheels turning, he tells Bill, just choose your own conception of God, right? How can I argue that point when Joe tells me that? Choose my own conception of God. It's not his conception. It's not my parents' conception. It's not my grandparents' conception. It's my own conception. What is God? What do I, what do I want God to be for me, you know? Um, When I heard that, the argument fell. Like, I couldn't argue that. Like, what was I going to say, right? And so Bill geniusly puts that in the book. And he talks about this prejudice again. He says, Top 47, when therefore we speak to you of God, we mean your own conception of God. This applies to spiritual expressions which you find in this book. Do not let any prejudice you may have against spiritual terms deter you from honestly asking yourself what they mean to you. Again, prejudice, right? Old attitudes, ideas, and beliefs. I just had to stop debating and stop fighting this thing. And I still was fighting it, right? I got evidence. I'm at the house six months before I start in. Everybody around me is going out. Everybody else is relapsing. I haven't. Not because I've done anything special or I've done the work. No. I just was blessed with God's grace and mercy that he had other plans for me, right? Um I sit here amazed at this, right? <sighs> I love this. He says, we need to ask ourselves but one short question. Do I now believe, which I didn't, or am I willing to believe that there's a power greater than myself? Again, I didn't. What I did know is, and what I did believe in is, I didn't want to go back to what I left. I didn't want to go back to that old way of living. I believe that Joe and John believed I know the book says no human solution to this thing, but for me, I had to, that, that was my solution. Joe and John, they were the mustard seed. They put my hand in God's hands. And so for the first couple, six, seven months, I, they were my higher power, right? That's just for me. But my belief in God surely came. Let's move on. And again, this is not, I'm, I'm not a big book um, expert. I'm not a, a guru. This is just my experience with it. This is me taking you through how I did it and what worked for me. Again, there's all kinds of, of, of people that know this book inside and out can quote you page and vibrate them. I can't do that. I know the book. You know, we talk about a passage. I know it, but this is just me and my, my um, experience with it. So again, we fast forward, right? So he's talking to me about my belief systems and all this stuff, and it's, it's, it's getting in, but not really, right? It's still getting in, and I go through this thing, and I'm at the halfway house. I'm, in, I'm doing the steps, right? I'm not giving God the credit. I'm giving my sponsor, Joe and John, the credit. Um, I'm getting sober. I'm starting to have these experiences, these spiritual experiences in all aspects of my life. You know, the, the, the job went from, labor pool to so it happens guy where I'm at a meeting at the one-on-one club and this guy who I see at the meeting every day 545 meeting happens to own an AC company he asked me what do I do for a living I said nothing I work at labor pool 
where you're living at, again, <laughs> I live down the street. I don't tell them I'm in a halfway house, you know what I mean? That's kind of embarrassing. I'm 35 years old living in a halfway house. I'm so worried about my reputation and, and, and how people view me that I can't be honest with this guy about that, right? I'm at the meeting with girls, you know, and again, Joey, I talked about it last week. Joey said to me, stay out of relationships, right? You don't want anything to get in the middle of me building this relationship with God. And I'm like, whoa, Joe, slow down. <laughs> what does that have to do with recovery? I didn't have a problem with that, right? So I'd, I'd see a girl at the meeting. We're outside talking, and where do you live? And I live in, if you've been to Solutions, you know we got a tennis court. We got pool, basketball court. So I tell this, this chick, you know, I live in this house in Pompano. I got a pool. I got a, a basketball court, tennis court. I don't tell you it's a halfway house, right? The masquerade, the masks. And uh, so this guy gives me a job, making 8 bucks an hour. Now I'm balling, right? Went from $22 a day to, or $42 a day to 8 bucks an hour. He happened to be my first boss. From there, I meet my first sponsor. He gets me a job at this pool company. I know nothing about pools when I get here. 15 years later, I'm running this place, right? This is God working in my life. But page 52, and uh, when I first read this, this is me stone cold abstinent. And when I first read this, I was like, wow, how did Bill know me? He wrote this over 80 plus years ago. I wasn't even thought of, and he knows me. Right. He knows. I don't know what he's talking about, but he knows me. <laughs> so these are called the bedevilments. Stone cold abstinent. Right. This is me. Let's say July 13th in the hotel room. In Pompano. He says we had to ask ourselves, why should we apply to our human problems? The same readiness to change our point of view. Right. It's my point of view. It's how I have life. It's how I see things. Listen to this and see if you can relate. And just think about your last 42 hour, 48 hours out there. We were having trouble with personal relationships, right? I just told you, my family didn't know where I was. Trouble, right? We couldn't control our emotional nature. I'm wondering why little Susie's not calling me, what she's doing. We were afraid of misery and depression. That was me, right? Suicidal, but not too, too afraid to do it. We couldn't make a living. I was unemployable when I got here, literally. We had a feeling of uselessness. Talk about <laughs> incomprehensible demoralization. Useless. 35 years old, my life was in the toilet. I felt useless, right? Too embarrassed to let my family know where I'm at. Too em- I'm the oldest child out of all the grandkids. I'm supposed to be the standard bearer. Useless. We are full of fear. Now, I tell you when I get here, I'm not afraid of anything, right? I'm a Marine. I'm a man. I'm not afraid of nothing. But I'm afraid of everything, like everything when I get here. We were unhappy. (laughs) Check. We couldn't seem to be a real help to other people. I didn't want to be helping other people. It was all about me. What could I get from you, right? Selfish, self-centeredness to the core. Was this not a basic solution to our bedevilments? He says this, when we saw others solve their problem by a simple reliance upon the spirit of the universe, we had stopped doubting the power of God. Our ideas didn't work. You think? Like, my best thinking got me here. My best thinking got me homeless, 35 years old, with a warrant for my arrest, 
in Papano Beach, depending upon another man to show me how to live. I can promise you growing up that that wasn't my plan in life. My plan for life wasn't to be an alcoholic. It wasn't to be homeless in Florida, to not have my family know where I was, to be a bum. That was not the plan, right? But that's what Keith got. That's what Keith's idea got. That's what Keith got from running the show. It says this. Again, step one. When we became alcoholics, crushed by a self-imposed crisis, again, he's teeing it up. Because I just told you I'm a victim. It's your fault when my life sucks. But he just tells you right there. Crushed by a self-imposed crisis, I authored everything that happened in my life. Everything I have right now when I got here in, in uh, 2003, I was committed to having, which was nothing. I was committed to nothing. It says we cannot postpone or evade. We had to fiercely face the proposition that either God is everything or he is nothing. God either is or he isn't. What's our choice to be? Again, when I read that, I didn't make that choice just yet because I I, I, I'm not a believer. But I know I don't want to go back. So I just went back to the, I'm willing to believe. I'm willing to believe that you believe and that something's different, right? That's not where I'm at today. I, I am a soul-satisfied customer on this God thing, right? And, and in my 17 years, I've had God, spiritual awakenings, God stories for days. But I'm going to tell you a God story or a story about me and, and, and what good sponsorship and what good people around you will do for you. Now, Joe is like my brother from another mother right now. He's my best friend. He is, you know, talking when it says people wouldn't know him, wouldn't mix. Here's a guy from West Palm Beach, mother and father, children, seven people in their family, like the Cleavers and stuff. I'm from upstate New York, 12 years younger, and we're like this now. But he saw... Me, I was at the halfway house for three years, right? And again, that wasn't my plan. Normally, we ask for a four-month commitment, but once I got committed, as long as you're doing the right thing and trying to clean up your records your past, you can stay there, right? And so I had stayed there for three years. We'll talk about this later on down the line, but I had to go make my amends, financial, criminal, all this stuff. And uh, Joe starts to see some things. He starts to see the recuperative power of my ego. He starts to see me taking credit for this thing, right? And here it talks about see where religious people are right. And Joe saw that. And he knew that I still had animus towards church and I still had animus towards religion. Again, not a religious program, but once I get sober, I got to expound on this spirituality, right? So other tools. So he wants me to go to church with him, right? He goes to the biggest church in South Florida, Calvary Chapel, Easter service Sunday. Do you want to go to church with me? No. <laughs> I don't want to go to church with you. That's Sunday. Monday, same thing. No. All week long, he's asking me if I want to go to church. And I'm not budging. I'm going back to that old idea, that old prejudice that's coming back up for me. So Friday night, we go to this meeting at the one-on-one club, and uh, Russell S. is speaking. It's about 200 people there, and we listen to Russell speak. And, you know, you know Russell, he's all about God, and he talks about it like up from up here. He's a deacon in the church and all this stuff, and... I didn't really feel the message or whatever, but after the meeting is over, we go outside to one-on-one club and Joe gets in my face, like literally gets in my face and says to me, who the F do you think you are? 
not to want to give God the glory. And I'm like, F you, you know what I mean? Like, it was bad. So he leaves. I, with a buddy, we go to the most spiritual place I know, which is the Isle Casino. And uh, <laughs> we're sitting there. People are drinking. I'm drinking a Sprite, smoking cigarettes, and I'm just character assassinating Joe. Like, who does he think he is? I'm just killing this man verbally. And uh, mind you, this is the guy who saved my life, who's done nothing but stand for me for these last couple years. And uh, the guy next to me, he's just eating it up. And uh, he says to me, yeah, who do you think he is? And I had a moment of clarity. I had a moment of clarity where it was like, what, what are you doing, Keith? So I said to Mark, I said, take me home. So we go back to the house and I knock on Joe's door. Excuse me. And I say to Joe, listen, I owe you an amends because I was just character assassinating you at the Isle Casino. But um, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to church with you one time, just once, just so you can stop asking me. He says, that's all I wanted. Just go to, just, you're letting your past dictate your future. Just go with me this one time. If you don't like it, you don't have to go back. All right, we'll go. So I go to church with him that Sunday, Easter Sunday at uh, Lockhart Stadium. And I don't know, but it seems like Pastor Bob had a camera in the house because what he talked about that sermon was all about what had happened that week. And I was blown away. And um, that's what we do now. We go to church every Sunday. Well, since COVID started, we haven't been. But that's just for me. I'm not telling you guys to go to church, but that's a little guy story. And that's me telling you about the ego. The ego is a very powerful thing, right? I'm still a broken man. So we got all this. We're here. Step two. I still don't believe we're talking about this, this return, uh, coming back to sanity or whatever and soundness of mind and stuff. And I'm still not buying. Right. But here. And again, I don't know how why Bill wrote it this way, but that was page 52, the bedevilments. Right. Going back to page 25. Flipped 52 around at 25. And, and, and this is what happens, right? So I tell you, I don't believe I got to commit to get this thing. And what's possible when I do the rest of this work, it is guaranteed and promised to me that I will have this relationship with a God of my own understanding, right? So if you're beaten and broken and he puts this and there's a solution, after he told you about the death and what's possible or what's going to happen to you, he writes this and there's a solution, it says, almost none of us like the self-searching, right? I never looked at, looked at myself. The leveling of our pride, I just talked about the ego. The confession of our shortcomings, which the process requires for the successful commit, uh, consummation. That steps four through nine, right? I don't have to figure anything out. I just do those step work, that step work, and this is what happens. But we saw that it really worked in others. And we had come to believe in the hopelessness and futility of life as we've been doing it, right? That lived for me. When therefore we were approached by those in who the problem had been solved, Joe, Chase, these guys here, spiritual awakening, spiritual experience, guys armed with the facts about themselves, there was nothing left but for us to do but to pick up this kit of simple, I'm sorry, pick up the simple kit of spiritual tools laid at our feet. Now listen to this. I just read the bedevilments and I just read all that stuff about hopelessness and fear and all that stuff. This is what's possible. Doesn't say I'm going to get a new job. Doesn't say I'm going to get a wife. I'm going to get a career. We've been, we've found much of heaven and we've been rocketed into a fourth dimension of existence of which we had never even dreamed. 
given how I felt on July 14th, wanting to kill myself. And after reading that, there's nothing but hope there. There's nothing but me saying, man, you mean I can get that by doing this? I can get that by listening to you guys? The great fact is this, this and nothing less, that we have had deep and effective spiritual experiences which have revolutionized our whole attitude toward life, right? Toward our fellows and toward God's universe. The central fact of our lives today is the absolute certainty that our creator has entered into our hearts and lives in a way which is indeed miraculous. He has commenced to accomplish those things for us, which we could have never done by ourselves. Man, I read that even here 17 years later, and I'm just blown away by that because it's true, right? We got good evidence out there. We got bad evidence, right? We got good evidence of people. What happens to people who don't do this work? And we got evidence of what happens to people who do do this work. And I read that and, and I can honestly say that it lives for me today. Like that has happened. Is God the central fact every day? Absolutely not. I think God has set it up so perfectly that he knows, he knows me. He knows I'm going to take my will back. And when I do that, pain happens, right? He knows that I'm going to mess it up. <laughs> so I get a chance to recommit every day. That's the beautiful thing about this thing. I get to recommit every day. I'm still a broken man, right? I am, I am a broken man. I'm going to talk about it um, when we get to six and seven, but I know that without him, I wouldn't be here, right? So a couple of stories before I end tonight's session. One of them I told you last week about the driver's license. This story tonight, um, so... Me and Joe, we're partners in Solutions. John retired. He sold it to me and, and, and uh, Joe. Now, I told you just now, I had no purpose in life. I was useless, whatever. I get sober. I do my amends. Joe has no idea, but I'm, I got money saved. I'm about to get out and get my own place. But he comes to me one day and says, hey, John's retiring. How would you like to become partners with me in Solutions? And I say to him, absolutely not. I see what you go through. I don't want to do that. No way, no way. But I talked to people in my inner circle and, and, and friends and family, and they're like, why not? Why not do this, right? Great opportunity for you to help people, whatever. So I say, okay, Joe, we'll do it, right? I got purpose today. We don't do it for money. We don't do it for, you don't never see solutions advertised anywhere. It's all word of mouth. So we go along and, you know, we don't take guys in just to fill the beds. So this one time, there was this guy named, uh, Bobby Campbell, he weighed like 450 pounds. Comes up the, the driveway, nobody would take him in. We took him in. He run, he's in our program for like eight or nine months. He leaves. Fast forward three or four years later. We were sitting outside by the pool, me and Joe. This is back when we smoked. He smoked cigars. I smoked Newports. We're sitting there. We had three guys in the house, and Joe says to me, hey, better say a prayer, man. You know, we might have to close the doors to solutions. We might not be able to make the mortgage. I said, okay, we'll say a prayer. Prayed that night, that day. The next day, Joe gets a phone call. Haven't heard from Peter, but Bobby Campbell in, in four years. Bobby Campbell calls us and he says, hey, hey, Joe, it's, it's Bobby. Uh, you know, I want to thank you guys for, you know, what you did for me. You're the only people that took me in. Um, 
my mom just passed. I came into some money. I want to help you guys. What do you need? Well, Bob, funny you should ask. We may have to close down solutions. The next morning, there was a check there for 5000 bucks. Paid the mortgage. Turns out Bobby Campbell was a heir to the, the Campbell Soup fortune or whatever that was. And me and Joe to this day are blown away by that story, right? He, he, <laughs> he just blows me away. I told Mike Chase this story last week, and I'll shut up with this. So I'm doing my, uh, I think my first ever step series. I've never done them before. It's easy for me to talk about my life in an hour, you know, because I go through the process of the steps. I don't give you a war story. I do that all day long. But talking about a step for an hour, very hard. So the first week, I'm in, uh, we're at Christ Church in Pompano. It's about 200 people. Big, big church. There's only one way out. No exits behind you. First week, I do my first step. Not a problem. Done. Good to go. Next week, come back for step two. It's about 200 people there. I, uh, I get up there. I start talking. And all of a sudden, it was like God just said, whoosh, and just wiped my mind clean. And I, could, I, I didn't know what to say. I just sat there frozen, right? And I got like 400 sets of eyes on me. And I'm, and I'm sitting there and I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm embarrassed. I'm, I'm disgusted. I'm cussing the people to ask me to speak. I'm character assassinating them. I say, I say, uh, <laughs> I, I bow my head for a minute. I say a quick prayer like, God, please, if you get me out of this, I'm never coming back here. Just help me get through the next 50 minutes or so. I come back up and I say something like, I don't want to give you guys head or something like that. And everybody laughed and I carried on with the talk. And when I was done, I was like, never coming back to this place. But the most amazing thing happened. People lined up and uh, they came up to me and they said that was the realest thing they'd ever seen. They saw the fear. They saw me go blank. They saw when I bowed my head, they saw when God kicked back in. And I mean, I was blown away by that. Like he has continued to be in my life in such a way. And Joe said something so profound to me and I'll shut up with this. In, in, our, in my time in, in recovery, we've had guys come to the house who are Bible thumpers, right? They think that more, more Bible will, will get us sober without doing this, this, this refinement through AA, without me getting right. You know what I mean? Without clearing off this, this, this dark hole that's inside of me. Right, because deep down, every man, woman, and child is a fundamental ideal of God. So they think by just going to the church first, that'll do it. It's never been success, right? He taught me that I should be able to tell you about the God of my understanding without saying a word, right? And I try to do that today. But uh, I hope I touched somebody, and thank you guys for having me. God bless. Thank you, Keith. Can we all give Keith another round of applause, please? So now I'm back temporarily. Um, I'm going to introduce our secretary. His name is Joseph, and he's been doing a great job, and he's going to come up here for a few, and then I'll be back. Here's Joey. Hello. Hello, everyone. My name is Joseph, and I am your recovered alcoholic secretary. And, oh, sorry about that. <laughs> Thank you, Mike Chase. 
All right. All right. Uh, in keeping with the seven tradition, which states that every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, the baskets are now going around because we contribute to our group and thus AA as a whole because it's done so much for us. God bless it. Thank you. And also, um, if you would like to, people at home, please contribute online, aa.org, um, through Intergroup. Um, they are struggling, and they could definitely use your contributions at this time. Uh, this evening, um, I'm going to have someone read the recovered statement. We read this note. That we read this notice to explain why many people in this group identify as recovered versus recovering and what exactly that means to be a recovered alcoholic. And tonight I've asked Chris, <laughs> my man Chris, and he's going to tell you what that is. Thank you. Hello, I'm Chris. I'm a recovered alcoholic. Chris. Recovered. We are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered but not cured? That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in the body. Page 23. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. Thank you, Chris. That was beautiful. 1940-style big book sponsorship from the forward of the second edition of Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came day and really tried, 50% got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe, and experience is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75-plus percent success rate. At this time, I'm going to ask um, for a show of hands of recovered alcoholics. Put them up. And then uh, in the Zoom room as well, um, raise them, please. And now, the fun time, anyone needs a sponsor, um, if you could put your humble yourself, put your hand up. Um, every All those recovered alcoholics, please... Um, acknowledge that and reach out to them, give them a, hey, how you doing? And hopefully uh, you guys can get together and get in touch with God. Um, yes. All right. Please join us on Monday nights here in this uh, room the, for the big book study meeting where the big book comes alive. Fellowship starts at 6.30 in the Zoom room. Come on in, say how you doing to each other. Um, and the actual meeting will start at 7.15. Just a reminder, we have CDs, mugs, large print, big books, and little red books, dictionaries for sale. Go get those um, to help improve your sponsorship skills. Um, we meet every Thursday night here um, with Keith. Thank you again, Keith. Um, next Thursday, obviously, step three. Looking forward to that. Um, starts promptly at 7.15, and we ask you to be courteous and ready to begin at the sound of the bells. Thank you. See you next week. So as usual, we have tonight's session and all other sessions podcasted. 
We also have them. If, if you're watching it on Facebook or you're working or you're doing something else during our meeting, you can later go on and join our group, Alcoholics and God, and watch it later. Or watch it whenever you want. Watch, you know, at your over a hundred times at your convenience. So you don't physically have to be present during the 7:15 to 8:30 window. You can still join us later. Um, and if you want to podcast it while you're driving to work tomorrow morning, you can go to alcoholicsandgod.org or on Dropbox. Again, I'd like to invite everyone to our Monday night big book study. We have the three amigos, Mike Chase E, Doc H, and Bill P. We'll have them up there again, old Bill. Uh, yeah. And um, anyone who wants to thank the speaker... Don't line up, but, you know, give them a quick, hey, how you doing, I guess, thanks. So, <laughs> um, message him through Facebook, and then uh, we're going to close with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day, on our dead, forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thy is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. Thank you. See you all next Monday or Thursday. Body's heavy, soul is thirsty, body's aching. in need of restoration yeah and I am ready for you to take me higher yeah the only thing that I can do is keep on praying cause I'm not home I just can't It doesn't matter
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go. See 
the light Count my blessings when I go to sleep at night And I dream now Yeah, I dream now And everything's alright <laughs> Oh, man Going on 10 years old, that song is. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye. I think you know this one, don't you?
Just won't set me free. Well, clap your hands if you leave me, children. 